isn't the most important thing that we just get people saved? Right. Isn't that like, why are we debating about these things? I know there's differences in, in the culture. You know, why do, why do we get into these? And unfortunately, because of the, the environment we're in, we see discussions about gender as political discussions. And that's because these things have been politicized. Right? And if there's one thing we don't do in the church, it's debate politics, right? So let's just leave it. Let's just get people saved. People just need to know Jesus after all. And I agree, but I have two questions. Save from what? And saved to what? Those are two great questions to start off this week's Prepare to Answer podcast. My name is Sean Walker, and I want to invite you to join Scott as he answers those two questions, and ultimately the question, why does gender even matter when sharing the gospel? This segment is taken from our Gospel and Culture series. This series dives into a biblical understanding of culture by tackling questions around identity, like, who am I? Who is God? Questions around gender like we're addressing today. Does gender even matter when sharing the gospel? Questions around transgender. How do I share the gospel with my transgender friends? What is spiritual but not religious? And don't all religions ultimately lead to God? If you're interested in this, we would encourage you to join us at preparedtoanswer.org slash gospel and culture study. For now, though, we would invite you to sit back and enjoy as Scott answers the question, why does gender even matter when sharing the gospel? Questions about how gender relates to the gospel. Well, how does it? Um, and I go back to, well, we think of the gospel as, as the simple salvation message, but really the gospel is the full counsel of scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Um, but maybe it's encapsulated best in terms of our mission by Jesus' commission to us, right? To go into the world and to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And a relevant question for Christians is this. Okay, so if we're to teach people what Jesus taught us, where does the subject of gender land in that teaching landscape? Uh, is it, should we be treating it as something essential to, to Christian faith? Is it, is, it an, is it a matter of orthodoxy? And orthodoxy just means rule or, or, uh, or book, I suppose. But the, the, is it, should it be a part of the core tenets of Christian faith you know, in the lines of things like the incarnation or Jesus' divinity or Jesus' resurrection, things which we can't equivocate on, right? We say, look at Jesus is the Son of God. God become flesh. He's divine and man at the same time, the incarnation or his resurrection. Does it belong in that category of teaching, those kinds of, uh, of, of unalterable, timeless truths? Or is it more on the side of the non-essential, the things we might refer to as preference or issues of conscience? Uh, for instance, mode of baptism or women elders or spiritual gifts, things that I could disagree strongly with with another Christian, and we really wouldn't be able to reconcile our differences, but I'm not willing to say, therefore, you're not a Christian. I, I say, you know what, we'll just have to agree to disagree on this, that we, we have both in good conscience gone to the scriptures, sought out God's truth, and we've come to different conclusions, and we and you know, the, whole, the whole body of the church around the world will just have to agree to disagree. Uh, which category does it belong into? And, and this might be no surprise. You're probably guessing where I put it already. And it really does belong in the category of Christian orthodoxy. Uh, and you might say, yeah, but isn't the most important thing that we just get people saved? Right? Isn't that like, why are we debating about these things? I know there's differences in, in the culture. You know, why do, why do we get into these? And unfortunately, because of the, the environment we're in, we see discussions about gender as political discussions. And that's because these things have been politicized. 
right? And if there's one thing we don't do in the church, it's debate politics, right? So let's just leave it. Let's just get people saved. People just need to know Jesus after all. And I agree, but I have two questions. Saved from what? And saved to what? It does very little good to say people just need to be saved if we don't have a proper understanding of what salvation is, right? What is the gospel? What is it we're calling them to in Christ? Not just some generic, you know, thoughts about Jesus, whoever he may be, if he ever really did exist. You know, those aren't up for grabs. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about the revealed truth about what God, through history, his purpose throughout creation has been in terms of redeeming his creation to himself. What does that mean? Glad you asked. We're going to talk about that. Save from what? Uh, well, we could look at a lot, a lot of places, but one of, the, one of the key texts I like to go to uh, is Romans chapter 1. And here in Romans chapter 1, Paul's laying out, I mean, in the book of Romans, he's laying out, this is his, his opus in terms of his delivery, delivery of a fully developed gospel message from start to finish. And it starts out with him discussing the state of man that we find ourselves in. He says in verse 18, The wrath of God is being revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of man who suppress the truth because of their wickedness. And he carries on. And then he, oh, and I talked about that. And then he says this, he diagnoses uh, the root of the problem for humanity. The wrath of God's coming. They're, they're denying the truth about God. They, they become darkened in their understanding, and it all is rooted to this. He says, because they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was ever blessed. Amen. Now, he then goes on to say in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to a degrading passions. And then he talks about the the exchange of mankind, both men and women, of the natural for the un unnatural. They exchange what's natural in, in exchange for the unnatural. And he's talking in particular about the proper or the natural uh, relatedness between man and woman, sexually speaking. What I think is interesting is looking at Paul's logic uh, as he works through this passage. He says, they exchange the truth of God for the lie. And he's specifically saying, for this reason. For what reason? Does God give them over to these things? Here's the reason. They exchange the truth of God for the lie. Well, which lie? Your Bible might say a lie. The, the Greek there actually says the lie. And I think Paul is pointing to specifically the lie. The one lie, which is the root of every lie. And it's the lie that comes from the garden. The Adam and Eve with the serpent in, in the garden. And his lie to them is, if you eat that fruit that God said, he, he didn't say you would surely die. Because he knows when you eat of it, you'll become like him. In other words, here's the lie, that you, the creation, can become the creator. You can, you can, the prerogative that God says is his alone to determine what is right and wrong and, and to determine what his creation is meant to be, that prerogative can be yours. That's why God doesn't want you to eat this fruit, because he knows once you do, you'll have what he has, wisdom to determine these things for yourself. That was the lie. So Paul is saying, because they exchanged the truth of God for that lie, God gave them over. He gave them over to exchange what's natural for what is unnatural. Uh, and so uh, that's one of the things I think to recognize is what people are being saved from is their part in the sin of exchanging the truth of God for the lie. And it's worth remembering that because of that, for this reason, we are under God's wrath. Um, so now a question that I have is, 
But why does this result in the abandonment of the male-female distinction? Now, now, that's not the only thing that happened. Paul, there's actually three in this text, there's three for this reasons. Uh, and God giving them over. He gives them over to the unnatural for the unnatural. Uh, he gives them over to false worship. So they worship the, the created things instead of the creator. And he gives them over to a depraved mind. So they do every kind of evil under the sun. He's not just picking on homosexuality here to make people who are engaged in homosexuality feel bad. He's picking on everybody so everybody feels bad. Right? So I just want to make that clear. But but why why is this included? Why the natural for the unnatural in terms of those gendered distinctions? What is it that's so significant about our gendered existence such that surrendering the truth of God for the lie would result in us, us basically turning those distinctions on end? Why? Here's why. Because ultimately, those distinctions are rooted in God's purpose for us, which is this. God created man in his image. In his own image, he created them, male and female. Right? We're created in his image. But why male and female? And it has everything to do with the fact that we're created in his image. This podcast has been a ministry of Prepared to Answer. Our mission at Prepared to Answer is to help prepare, equip, and encourage the Church of Jesus Christ to grow in confidence of faith by teaching Christians to think like Jesus. To access more resources to help you begin understanding life and the world around you with the mind of Jesus, visit our website at www.preparedtoanswer.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at at preparedtoanswer. Or contact us directly by email at info at preparedtoanswer.org. May the Lord bless and keep you.